Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. When it comes to adult animation, Hulu definitely has you pegged. It's episode 321 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and yeah, things are going to get very, very naughty on the show this week. And that's because we're going to be talking about Crossing Swords from Hulu, which is available now, all the episodes available right now. And if you haven't had a chance to stream this yet, yeah, put the kids to bed before you do for sure, because when I say adult animation... Yeah, well, we're talking about stop-motion animation here, and these peg people definitely let it all hang out in more ways than one. So we're going to talk to Yvette Nicole Brown, who is part of the show, plays Sergeant Megan, and of course Adam Pally, who plays Broth on the show. A couple of characters that I loved when I was watching it, and I couldn't wait to get a chance to sit down and talk to them about it as well. Also going to talk about Season 2 of The Order, from Netflix, a couple of very, very big comics. And Mint Mobile. Got another great deal for you from Mint Mobile. Find out how you can get your wireless bill down to like 15 bucks a month. Yeah, that would be pretty great, wouldn't it? And there's been some great comics this week. Let's talk about that now. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Greg Pock, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're holding tablets or bags and boards, whatever you're reading on, It's time for what we're reading, and man, was it a big week for comics. And you know I've got to start out with a big one from DC Comics, Dark Knight's Death Metal, number one, yes, being dubbed as the Encore. Scott Snyder writing this one. Also, Greg Capullo with a big, big contribution there doing the pencils. Jonathan Glapion on the inks, Flico Placencia on the colors, and Tom Napolitano on the letters. This Dark Knight story has gone to some pretty dark places. In its first arc, and, and even continuing after that in other stories, things start to look even more grim than ever, quite frankly, when you're getting into death metal. Seeing what some of our favorite heroes are reduced to and what's happening in general is just pretty hard. It's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Actually, Wonder Woman takes a very central role. In this first issue, not with not just with the role that she's playing, but how she secretly kind of keeps her hope. And and that's just it. You have to do a lot of this stuff in secret because that's the only option right now. Again, trying not to spoil anything here, but someone arrives in her, let's call it a dominion, that fans will not only know, but will be very surprised to see. And it will make so much sense why this character is such a big deal in the story and why the villains probably wouldn't want him around and causing trouble if that were the case. Now, the Batman who laughs keeps his plan of domination, but there is someone who knows more about his plan than you'd think, and that could be a big, big problem. This is really a story of dueling strategies, too, on the hero side, and you can only imagine who's kind of butting heads as, I mean, for lack of a better term, quite frankly, there's just, you know, there's one character that has 
one idea on what they need to do to fix things, and there's another character that has another idea entirely. So never giving up and is is really a part of the story as well. And I got to tell you, there's an ending to this issue that's so shocking. I was not prepared for it at all. It's it's like one of those where you got to look closely and like, did I see what I just saw? Yeah, I just saw what I just saw. Now what? And the now what is the teaser at the end of this issue. It is so freaking crazy because you'll say to yourself, there's no way they're doing this to this character, right? And yet, here we are. Or this is where we think we are. Anyway, this one was definitely worth the wait, I'm telling you. And it was brought to life in such an incredible way through the art, especially in the particular moment that I'm really trying not to reveal to you right now. But there's a beautiful page that I actually shared at Down in Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram. And it's just a shot of Batman, and it's like this. I, I shouldn't say a shot. It's 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 you know the one the wonderful art of Greg Capullo, Jonathan Glapion of Placencia, and then there's a a story that's right beside it, like a monologue type of situation, and it's just it's so fitting for this story, and and it really and that part of it really comes. Full circle. I was looking forward to this. I was not disappointed. If you were a, if you were a Dark Knights metal fan, death metal will not let you down. That is for certain. Here's one that we are getting a little bit earlier than we thought we were going to. We cover the fact that Boom Studios re- was releasing Wind number one early, and here we are. It's finally here. James Tyne in the fourth doing the writing. Also co-creating this story with Michael Dalianis, who was the illustrator here, and Aditya Bitkar. Also doing the letters. Now, while there's something special about Wind, and of course he is the title character of this story, the story is actually about far more than just one boy. It's also about a whole kingdom who's worried about a certain group who they feel could be a threat to their existence. Now, whether or not, you know, who agrees with that and who doesn't agree with that is is interesting because there's one faction that doesn't believe that that's the case at all, and and you've got the balance of that throughout the kingdom. Sound familiar? So there's also some. There also seems to be some sort of royal conspiracy brewing through all of this as well. That we'll likely find out more about in issue two because we kind of get to that towards the end of this first issue. Now the story really shows you that it's it's got layers to it. Like rather than focusing on the title character in issue one, which you could absolutely do, and there's certainly plenty of focus on wind, especially in the early going, that was very smart that they decided to give us a lot of different depth to the story because wind is a likable character, but pulling back the curtain and revealing a larger story very quickly here was very, very smart because you saw the description of the book, you know, like he, he's, you know, possibly wind is possibly being hunted. So he's got to take off and it's a brand new adventure for him. And it's like, okay, cool. I'd read that. But then you show me, okay, so there's even more going on than just that. So we're going to get that and we're going to get this because any really good story isn't going to give you just one linear story. And if it does, it better be damn good. It's going to give you these layers. And that is something I didn't expect to get from Wind, number one. I mean, I expected it to be good. I expected to like it. One of the reasons I wanted to read it in the first place, but I wasn't expecting 
a larger conspiracy story to go along with that with some other very interesting characters as well. And I mean, speaking of vast, I love in this book and you'll, if you you'll, if you get the first issue, you'll see this too. There's so many panels and even pages. It's just the art showing the, the showing where they're at, which is pipe town and just the kingdom itself and, and expressing emotion through art as well, which is something that obviously comics does better to me than, than any other medium really when the art is really, really good. Like it is here with Michael Dalianas, who doing a fantastic job on this art. Now, you're you're going to want to root for wind. There's no question about that. You're going to want to know more about what that ending is. It's like, okay, where is this going? And exactly what kind of a power vacuum are we going to have here? How and, and where is and speaking of where is this going? Those two characters that you see at the end, where is that going? Is that going where we think it's going or or is it not? And, you know, is one is one more aware of this than the other? Who knows? And I, I'm sorry I'm being cryptic here. You know I do spoiler-free re- reviews when it comes to comics. Bottom line is just read the thing. And, and some great variant covers, too, by Dan Mora, by the way. If you want to go ahead and go that route at your local comic book shop, there's going to be some great variants available for this. So, yeah, win number one. Got to throw that in the poll box along with Dark Knight's Death Metal number one from DC Comics. Get them both. As a matter of fact, and make sure you're getting all the other issues after that as well. It's going to do for what we're reading up next. Magic is back, but this time we're going back to the Hermetic Order of the Blue Rose. That's right. Season two of The Order. We'll talk about that. Spoiler free as well. Next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Joe Denical. I play Ragman on Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The magic is back on Netflix and maybe even a few werewolves thrown into the mix as well. How about a little bit of a review of The Order Season 2 from Netflix? Now, this just dropped yesterday. Of course, new podcasts come out on Friday, so this would have come out yesterday, which would be Thursday. So, going to go spoiler-free here because, and just for the first half of the Season 2, by the way, I don't want to give away anything major that happens just in case you haven't had a chance to stream it, but if you if you've already watched season one, this is a little bit of a spoiler for season one because I have to do that in order to be able to talk about and set up season two. Now you remember what happened at the end of season one, where basically all of the knights they got powdered, they got dusted, whatever you want to call it. That's what the order did to them, and now their memories are gone. And it was right after Jack lost his lost his pop, lost his grandpa, and he got dusted by Alyssa and we get to see the aftermath of said dusting right in the beginning of season two and it's interesting because each of the knights of St. Christopher every each one of the werewolves has their own thing that they're doing and what their life has been created what life has been created for them I guess you could really say you know because they they have to try and the order has to try and maintain the fact that they don't have their memories but what the order does is funny and interesting at the same time, especially for Jack. And the one that's the that was the most interesting, though, was for Lilith and how it affected her and, and how it continues to be a theme throughout the season as well. This is not something that just sort of goes away right in the beginning of the season. This is kind of an ongoing theme in the season for her. So it's very, very interesting. 
And it also affects something that we saw towards the end of season one that involved Lilith as well. And there's not a whole lot of attention paid to that, which I thought was interesting that they didn't really go there. I mean, they, they, they mention it because how can you not? But it's not a focus at, really at all during the season. And that'll make a little bit more sense once you see more of season two. And if you're a fan of the show, you probably already know who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about. But it's that duality that they've got going on for her her character story-wise, I think is really, really interesting and in how they work that into the mix. And of course, you get you get Hamish being Hamish, you get Randall being Randall. And one thing I will say about this show is it definitely, I mean, there's there's some serious stuff that goes on here. There's no doubt about it. But they lean a lot harder, and I mean a lot harder, into the comedy this season. And I guess because there's less character building to do this year, you know who the Knights are. You know who's in the order. You kind of already know these characters if you're in the second season, so you can forego the, you know, will the Knights get along? You know, will Jack want to stay with them? And how do they feel about Jack? And yada, yada, yada. We're past that now. So now that everybody's comfortable with each other, you can kind of get down to, you know, the camaraderie between everyone. So, yes, we do deal with whether or not they get their memories back. Yes, you do deal with the fallout of whether they do or do not get their memories back. I, I will tell you that. We also do get to see some new characters that come into the mix. Some of them, you know, just for a little bit. Some of them, you know, for a little bit longer period of time. And characters that weren't really a huge focus in Season 1 become a little bit more of a focus in Season 2. There's something new for Vera as well that probably won't surprise anybody that watched the show in season one and was a fan, but there's a visitor that comes that might be a little bit of a surprise. Now, what you'll find very interesting is someone takes a little bit of a liking to Vera. And it was kind it's kind of interesting. And it's, it's kind of in the early stages here in the second season. We're not quite there yet. And I'm not sure where it's going to go. Cause again, I only want to talk about the first half of the season, but it's very, I, I kind of hope it happens is the best thing that I can, that I can say again, I don't want to spoil it, but it was very interesting. And it, and it comes like it starts out as kind of a casual observation. If you're a fan and then it gets brought up by one of the characters in the show and you're going, huh? So they see it too, sort of thing. And I don't, again, I don't know if anything's going to come from it, but, but it's going to be fun if we get a little bit more out of that this season we, we get to see I, I remember talking to the showrunners at comic-con and they said you know if it if it can exist and it, if it can come from magic then then it could be a part of the show well we do get to see that and we do get to and it does get explained as to how certain characters and certain elements can come into the show because of magic as a matter of fact episodes three and four really really interesting in episodes three and four. And here's another thing that the show did this time around that they didn't really do in season one. And that's that we get things broken up into arcs this time, like little two episode arcs this season, which I thought was a super smart thing to do. Black lightning does that. It's although it's not, it's, it's not like two episodes, more like four. It's like four chapters and it's, it still services the larger story of the season, but it gives you more of a focus in that two episode arc that they do. And then you move on to the next one you move on to the next one, but it all services the main goal of the season, which will be blatantly obvious 
very early on in the show. Now, there's going to be some twists and turns to that even in in the early going, but even at the end of season one, you, you had to kind of see what the vibe would be and how and when and what exactly would be the fallout in season two. You had to see it coming. So, but but again, there are some big twists and turns in this, and one of the main characters has a pretty big. And I mentioned this character earlier. Pretty something pretty big happens midway through the first season, and that really sets up the second part of the season. And Gabrielle's another character that you want to keep your eye on this season. I know you kind of felt that way in the last season as well, but really, yeah, really have to keep an eye on her this season because it it's, it almost feels like ever since last season, something's been building for her, and it's been bigger and bigger and bigger. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, again, I don't want to give anything away, but keep an eye on on her, something very interesting happens with Alyssa as well, and you have to wait to see how that plays out. And again, episode—I think it was episode four. I want to say episode four, or episode five, where something happens during this arc, and it changes a few of the characters dramatically. And there's a reason for that. And it's just—it's really, really interesting, and it's funny. The, the The jokes land more this season than they did last season, I think. And they're not necessarily jokes, but funny moments that happen or lines that come from it, characters that you expect them to come from, like Randall and other characters that you don't ne- necessarily expect them to come from. So uh, there, there's your tease right there. So if you enjoyed season one of The Order, then I think you'll actually enjoy season two a little bit more because it, it feels like, you know, we've gotten to know these characters already. And granted, it's been a year since we've seen them. But because we've now gotten gotten past the let's get to know these characters thing, now we know them. They're they're more comfortable. We're more comfortable. We know who everybody is, who all the, who all the main players are, and how they're supposed to be acting, and how we expect them to act, I should say. And then certain twists and turns happen, and it makes you care more because you've already been invested in these characters from before. And if you liked a certain character last season, you'll you'll like them again this season, no question about it. So if you haven't started binging The Order yet on Netflix, I suggest you do that. If you haven't even started from season one yet, you've still got plenty of of time to catch up. You've got the 20 episodes total. You could do that in a weekend, right? Come on, yeah, watch The Order on Netflix. Season two, available now. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Mint Mobile. And I've, I've had Mint Mobile now for a couple of months. And I'm somebody who, I've got kids at home, and my, my five-year-old would take my phone from me sometimes, right, and just want to use it. So, you know, I I give it to them, and I think, okay, now I can't get any work done. I can't get my calls. I can't get my texts, anything like that. Then enter Mint Mobile. And I've, I'm able to get my work done now. It's amazing. I, I can get text messages. If there's a phone call I need to make, my kid's happy. I'm happy. And Mint Mobile's, it's crystal clear calling. I've never had any problems with the data. It's, it's lightning fast. You've got 3, 8, and 12 gig plans of 4G LTE data and reliable networks. And the best part is you can get your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month. You think Big Wireless going to be able to do that for you? Now they've got, you know, brick and mortar stores that they have to pay for and all this other overhead. So no, Mint Mobile gives you everything completely online. You can use your phone, you can use your own phone. 
The activation process was so, so quick and easy, so why not switch to Mint Mobile today? As a matter of fact, if you do that, go to mintmobile.com slash nerdy. That's mintmobile.com slash nerdy to find out how you can cut your wireless bill down to $15 a month. You get everything shipped right to your door for free with Mint Mobile. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving. Go to mintmobile.com slash nerdy today. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Order Season 2, at least the first half of it anyway. Up next, some interesting nerd news to talk about and a convention experience you might be able to have. I'll tell you about that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Christine Adams from Black Lightning, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who's ready to spend a whole day at a convention? That's right, it's time for nerd news. Convention, sort of, I should say, because first story this week is from the world of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment, and they have announced that they are going to have a 24-hour worldwide virtual gathering, or virtual event, I should say, coming up on August the 22nd, called DC Fandom. And yeah, 24 hours means 24 hours. It's going to start on Saturday, August the 22nd at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. And that's 10 o'clock Pacific for anybody who's not a whiz at time zones. And it's going to be a 24-hour thing, so it'll last until the next day. So basically, it doesn't matter what time zone you're in, doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, you're going to get something that you can experience live, brand new for you, which is great. And if you go to downandnerdypodcast.com, I'll put the picture up there. Of, they've actually got a literal, you know, like like a fan dome with all these different chambers, like the the DC Watchverse, DC Hall of Heroes, DC Funverse, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And this is almost like what you would get at San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, DC has already announced that, you know, Aquaman's going to be a part of this. The Batman, as far as, you know, the movie's concerned. The Black Adam movie is going to be some news about that. You might have seen Dwayne The Rock Johnson tweet about it. I mean, you name it, and they've got it going on. I mean, the Justice League, the Snyder Cut's going to be a part of that. Lucifer, Pennyworth, a whole bunch of different stuff. And, the, you know, there's going to be comics that'll be a part of this world as well. Warner Brothers Games will be involved in this. It's it's basically a huge celebration of DC, for lack of a better way of putting it. you got to go to dcfandome.com if you want to get more information beyond that. But And again, I, I'm, I'm definitely excited for this, and I think that they're gonna, there's going to be plenty of really cool news that comes out of this. Maybe we'll get some trailers. Maybe we'll get, you know, so we'll obviously get some Q&As with, with casts and, and creators and things of that nature. So it'll feel like you're at a convention, but to me, nothing really replaces that in-person convention experience, especially if you've been to a really good con, like a big, really good con, and you kind of understand that there's really nothing to replace that. I mean, you can't... The virtual events are great. Don't get me wrong. And I think it's it's amazing what DC's doing here, and you're giving something to your fans. And I never fault anybody for doing that. And yeah, I'm, of course I'm excited for it. But would I rather be standing in the convention hall in San Diego in July, experiencing this firsthand? Absolutely. I rather would. I think I think we kind of, the vast majority of us would, right? Because you want that in-person experience. It's, there's a difference between seeing something with your own eyes 
on a screen and seeing something with your own eyes in person or in with a group of fans that are sitting around you. It's it's the it's that it's all part of that experience. Right. So I'm just interested to see exactly how this is going to go over, especially with the whole 24 hour thing. I'm, I'm very curious to see, you know, what's going to get scheduled when and things like that. Obviously, there's plenty that you can schedule at certain times. You know, maybe you know, maybe in a prime time spot for the for the UK market, they'll they'll put Pennyworth out there because you know you've, you're talking about you know the British. You know, there's a lot of British themes in that, obviously. So you might want to put that out there. Then there's just a, there's a lot of different things that you can do at a lot of different times. I'm just interested to see how it's going to get spaced out. Will we be able to watch some of this after the fact? If say you're not awake. At 2 o'clock in the morning with something really cool. At 2 o'clock in the morning, something you want to experience. I don't know. I, details, as far as hard details, still a little bit you know, in up in the air at this point. We don't really know too much. I'm sure we'll find out more. It's not until August the 22nd anyway. So we've got plenty of time to find out what's going on. But, I mean, hey, I, I am excited for this. I just wish that it never had to come to this point. So I'm just, you know, kind of, you know, I'm... I'm disappointed just in that in general. I think what DC is doing is amazing, and I'm glad that they've decided to put something big together. Now, don't forget Comic-Con at home is supposed to be happening in July, and they're boasting you know, panels and, stuff and, and that kind of thing. But if DC is doing their own major event in August, a month later, I can't imagine they're breaking too much big news during Comic-Con at home if they're just going to do their own thing. So it remains to be seen just how involved DC is going to be in Comic-Con at home. And the larger, you know, what what's going to happen with cons from here on out if these digital events are successful. Let's kind of cross that bridge when we come to it, shall we? Let's talk about something that we know is happening in 2021. A lot of things are going to be happening in 2021, but we know that we're going to get the Snyder Cut of Justice League on HBO Max, which is now called, by the way, Zack Snyder's Justice League, if you paid attention to a press, press release that came out this week, because the first clip from Zack Snyder's Justice League was released. And, you know, long story short, it's basically a clip of Diana, of course, Gal Gadot's Diana Prince, discovering the dark side exists. Basically, you, you see her, you know, she's got this torch and she sees this, you know, almost like a cave painting type of thing of dark side. And then we get to see dark side in action, technically. And I say that because it's again from like a hundred yards away and you can't really see up too close to dark side. And hopefully that's not going to be the whole movie, right? Right, where you're going to have to look at him with a with a magnifying glass or binoculars or something. Hopefully, we, at some point we get some sort of an up close look at Dark Side. But you know, they they can't be too far along in the, in the effects mixing for this, right? I mean, I know that it's it's being worked on, but you know, I'm sure that there's some stuff that needs to be. There's still plenty of Dark Side that needs to be worked out from here. So I, I, it does not surprise me at all that we haven't gotten a great look yet, but it is a little bit cause for concern, right? It's like, gee, we're only going to see dark side from, from far, far away. Gee, I hope not. So I understand why some fans are concerned. And again, this is a really, really small thing, but did you expect that you were going to get a clip at all for a while or anything? I didn't. So I'm glad that we certainly got something and it was something different too right so it's like oh so different footage does exist sort of thing so that was cool to see and i'm sure that there's going to be far more cool things coming i know dc fandom i'm sure they're going to work hard to get a trailer out 
for DC FanDome. I have no knowledge that that's what they're going to do, but I'm telling you right now, I think they are going to burn the midnight oil to make sure that they've got some sort of a trailer to show for that event because that would be a big deal. Speaking of trailers, how about the trailer for Season 2 of Hannah, which is coming and returning to Amazon Prime Video on July the 3rd, so not too far from now, great 4th of July weekend. You've got Hannah basically returning and jumping right back into the fray, by the way, to save one of her friends from the Utrax program. But now things have been moved to a place called the Meadows, and it seems like some of the restrictions have been lifted from what Hannah knew before. You know, it looks like they're trying to give these girls new lives, or at least they say they're going to. And it's run by somebody new as well. And a face that you'll probably recognize in Dermot Mulroney, who's been in a a ton of movies and TV series and things like that. He plays John Carmichael. And we also have Leo Garner, who's played by Anthony Welsh. And they're sort of running things. But one of the things that struck me, if you watched the first season of Hannah on Amazon Prime Video, was that... The CIA agent that was basically trying to track her down and trying to run her down the whole first season and Marissa Weigler, played by Marielle Enos, is now kind of like protecting her and protecting herself. And there's something really weird going on. It's like it's like you kind of feel like, you know, something's wrong, but you can't really put your finger on it sort of thing. That's what this whole trailer felt like. And, And just seeing these all these young women brainwashed into basically killing machines, right? But think that this is for their greater good and think they're being given the opportunity to get new lives. I mean, you see the, the character of Sandy, who's played, who's played by Annie Rose Daly. It's just, you can just see it in her eyes, right? And it seems like this is going to be a problem for Hannah because it almost seems like she's the only one that doesn't want to fall in line but she's there to try and rescue her friend Clara in the first place. But still, if you saw the last season, I would not want to mess with Hannah and Esme Creed Miles. I can't wait to see what she does in this upcoming second season. It's like Born Identity meets Black Widow in a way, right? Like if you're talking about like the origins of Black Widow, I think this is going to be a really great second season. I think they're definitely going to step up their game for this one. I thought season one was good. I think season two is going to be even better, and we'll find out in a couple of weeks, premiering on July the 3rd. Really quickly, I don't want to get too deep into this discussion again, but I feel like since it's been discussed a lot on social media, I want to throw it out there. I already talked a, a, a couple of weeks ago about the CEO for Cinemark Theaters kind of announced what their policy would be on masks, and it looks like he's not the only one because AMC Theaters has announced they are going to be reopening and, of course, reduce capacity on July the 15th for places that you know are allow, allowing movie theaters to open again. Fast forward to the part where, you know, obviously they're going to have new sanitization methods. There's going to be social distancing in the theater. They're not going to be able to sell as many tickets. They're going to have a limited concession menu and things like that. But it seems like the thing that's getting the most attention is that AMC will not mandate their guests to wear masks, this according to Variety, that employees will be required, but patrons will not. They're not going to do, to do temperature checks either. And I'll get to that in a second. But the CEO of AMC Theaters, Mr. Aaron, said that they are not trying to get into a politicized 
issue. Seriously, this is what he said, and I quote, We do not want to be drawn into a political controversy. We thought it might be counterproductive if we forced mask wearing on those people who believe strongly that it is not necessary. We think that the, the vast majority of AMC guests will be wearing masks. When I go to an AMC feature, I will certainly be wearing a mask and leading by example. It seems like, and here's the deal, and, and the, the, the report does go on to say that, you know, if there are certain localities that do require that you wear a mask in public, that it, it will be something that you'll have to do inside an AMC theater. They're, they are certain, they, that is one thing that kind of got lost in the outrage on social media is that they said that, yes, Adam Aaron did say, yes, if, if it's required where you live, then you'll have to wear one here as well. And, and the, you know, the, of course, they're going to do the whole sanitizing stations and things like that. And, you know, at first, I was as mad as as you might have been when you saw this. Like, you know, how could you open up your theater and not have masks? But at the same time, and I'm not, and again, I am not taking sides in this either. I understand where, if there's one thing I understand in that statement is that the, I understand he doesn't want to take sides, but at the same time, you've got to make a decision one way or the other, I think, if you're AMC theaters. Me, I don't have to take a side because I don't have a brick-and-mortar business that people are going to be walking into and, and, and patroning, okay? So I don't really have to take sides, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you what is best for you, your health, and your family, and, and, and what you think. You know, if, if you're a listen-to-the-experts person, if you're a I'm-just-going-to-do-what-I-want-to kind of person, either way... I'm not here to judge anybody else in this, okay? But at the same time, it's like, I want you to think of all the places before the COVID-19 even existed. Think about all the places that were considered in your mind to be germ factories, right? Like you go here during flu season or, or you know, cold and flu season, and you're like, where are the most likely places that I might get sick? And more than likely, movie theater was on that list for you, right? Like if you've got kids that go to school, obviously that's a place, you know, uh, airplane, air travel, you know, theme parks, things of that nature. Those are things that are probably on your list, right? Well, now we're living in a pandemic world and are those things just not on your list anymore? That's the thing. I, I just, I don't understand that logic. And maybe you think masks help, maybe you don't. But, you know, it, it doesn't mask or no mask. There's just going to be people that aren't comfortable going back to the movie theater. They're just they just won't. It won't matter what the policy is. And again, I'm not sure how you social distance in, in a setting like this. Obviously, you know, you could say, you know, we're blocking off X amount of seats. But I mean, people are still going to have to walk by each other in rows. Right. People are still going to have to use the restrooms. People are still going to be you know, somewhat close to each other at concessions f- facilities and things like that. It's just, if you're not comfortable, it's understandable. Okay. But there are, but at the same time, there are also going to be people that are going to go and no, they don't check your temperature. Not where I live anyway. They don't check your temperature when you go into a retail establishment, not the major ones anyway, that I've gone into. I've been temperature checked. There was one thing that I went to do where they checked my oxygen level. That that did happen at one of the places that I went to. And I, you know, I gladly complied with that. And I was wearing my mask. And I've been wearing masks in public, by the way, 
since mid-March because I just decided that for myself and for the health of my family, that was something I was going to decide to do. Bottom line is nobody likes to be told what to do. And I think that that's what they didn't want to say in this statement. So they decided to say it in the guise of, well, you know, we don't want to make it political. We don't want to choose sides. So, you know, we're not going to. No, they wanted to basically say what needs to be said. And that's what people don't like to be told what to do, whether it be by the government, whether it be by AMC theaters, whether it be by, you know, their parents, their, you know, superiors, whatever. People don't like to be told what to do. And if you tell somebody that they have to wear a mask, there's going to be a certain section of the politi- of the of the population that is going to rally against that because they don't like the fact that you're being told to do something that you wouldn't otherwise be doing. And and Cinemark had a similar policy that they, you know, that we talked about a few weeks ago and, and I was, you know, pretty frustrated with them, but now I mean, hey, if if they're all going to adopt this policy, and, 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 and uh, well, not necessarily a policy, but if they're all going to adopt this thinking of, hey, we're not going to require masks, but, you know, we expect that you should probably wear one, then that's just the way it's going to be. So you can't fault one over the other if that's how they're going to feel. And, you know, maybe you're more comfortable with one over the other, or maybe you're just not comfortable going to a movie theater at all right now. And, and either way, I understand. I understand that. Okay. I know there's so many of us that are just ready for things to just get back to normal, you know, and you and anybody that's upset about the masks mask thing, you have to understand that is that there are just some people that for whatever, whatever they're going through in their lives right now, just cannot wait for things to get back to normal. And you have to have at least somewhat of an understanding for that. So I don't know if you're going to be going to a movie theater or not. If I did, I'd probably wear my mask just because, you know, it's something that I've been doing anyway. Nobody told me to do it. I just decided to do it on my own. So that I guess that's the perspective that I'm looking at this from. But I'm going to be very interested to see what those first couple of week numbers are for movie theaters and see if things do change even a little bit in the next month or so. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, let's talk about Crossing Swords with a couple members of the cast. I'll be joined by Yvette Nicole Brown and Adam Pally next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So when a king needs a squire, who are you going to get to whip those guys into shape? Well, why don't you call Sergeant Megan, just one of the characters you're going to meet in Hulu's Crossing Swords, and you're definitely going to recognize her voice when you hear it. It's Yvette Nicole Brown. Yvette, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thank you. So let's just dive right in. When you first got the script and when you first learned you drew, that you were going to be a part of the show, what were your first impressions of it? You know, I, I've done Supermansion with the stupid buddy robot chicken guys. And so I knew that it would be probably a little naughty, a little irreverent, and also a lot of fun. So I didn't even read the script before I said yes. They just called and or sent an email and asked if I wanted to play Sergeant Megan on their on a new show they were doing, and I said yes. So when I got in the booth and found out how naughty and irreverent it was, it was a, a big surprise to me. But I think sometimes you need that respite from cra- from the craziness of the world, and so I'm glad that our little show is available to the to adults that want to watch. So we've seen a lot of like medieval parodies and stuff like that, Dark Ages parodies. How do you feel? How did you feel when you're like, okay, this is really completely flipping the script and turning on its ear and actually adding some modern elements as well? You know, I thought that it was a perfect time. I, I love that it's the little peg characters. 
there's we get away with a lot more than any of the other shows can get away with because we're not human beings acting out these horrible things. So I think that they can push the envelope a little more than other shows can. And that's saying a lot considering what, what Game of Thrones um, got away with. But I think that we also, we there's no matter how dark the show appears or what you may be seeing on the screen, there's still a bit of fun and lightness to it because it's little peg characters with no feet and no arms. Something about that just makes it more palatable in its craziness. No doubt about it. So for anybody that's thinking about checking out the show for the first time, why don't you tell them a little bit about Sergeant Megan? Well, Sergeant Megan is in charge of the Squires, and one of the Squires is Patrick, our hero um, in Crossing Swords. He is a good man with integrity who is surrounded by horrible people. And so the whole show is about him trying to keep his decency in the midst of this horrible situation that he's in, trying to, you know, protect the kingdom for the king and queen. And Sergeant Megan is a bit sadistic. She's a bit mischievous. But her goal is to whip the squires into shape to be the best squires that can be for the kingdom. So though she's tough, she's, she's still got a, a bit of, of love and care in her. You just got to dig real deep down. So we don't really get to see Sergeant Megan interact with the king and queen a whole lot or the royal family. So what, do you, what would you say, what's her impressions of this crazy royal family that she's kind of employed by? Well, you know what? I think she kind of bought into whatever shenanigans they're a part of. You know, I don't think that she could be responsible for getting their squires together if she didn't kind of agree with the way they... Well, that's not true. I don't, I don't actually think Sergeant Megan agrees with the way they're handling things. I think it's actually more she needs the checks. <laughs> she needs to eat and make sure that she has a roof over her head. So go. I think that she's accept, accepted that they're crazy, but it's a, it's a job. And sometimes you just got to take the job. That's what I think is the real truth of Sergeant Megan. So you, you obviously said, you know, this show really likes to push the envelope a whole lot. Was there anything in particular you can kind of tease for us without spoiling where you looked at something you were going to be a part of and you're like, wow, I, I can't believe we're going to get away with this. Well, you know, it's actually in the first trailer. It's uh, Sergeant Megan, I don't, forgive me for being indelicate, but she references setting her own pubes on fire for warmth. And I I got in the booth and I saw that and I said, I had to say that. <laughs> you know, so that one, but it, it's in the trailer. And I love actually that it's in the trailer because it makes it totally clear to anyone. This is not for your children. So please do not set your children in front of Hulu and turn on Crossing Swords and walk away. This is not one for the kids. I like that our trailers show exactly what the show is. So even though it looks like a kid's show, it's not a kid's show. But that one line in particular was enough for me to go, oh, my. Because I'm PG-13 as a rule, as a, as a human being. So it was, it was a little shocking for me. The question is, did you get it on the first take? <laughs> you know, I had to because I didn't want to have to keep saying it. Yeah, <laughs> so yep, there you I go. Yeah, and it was part of a longer line, and I, I, I tried to always, my, my choice, my acting choice, is to try to get uh, Sergeant Megan's speeches in in one breath. I wanted her to be an efficient speaker. And so it was part of a long line of things that she was saying, so I kind of said it and just kept the train moving. Talking to Yvette Nicole Brown, who of course plays Sergeant Megan on Hulu's Crossing Swords, which you can stream all 10 episodes of right now on Hulu. Now, Yvette, do you think that... And I might know the answer to this, but I want to ask the expert here. Does Sergeant Megan have a favorite squire, you think? You know, I think that if she pays attention, she probably would like Patrick. I don't think she's paying attention yet. I think she's one that's kind of like uh, in an in a officer and a gentleman where Lou Gossett Jr. was tough on everybody. And then you saw towards the end that he had a sweet spot, you know, for the Richard Gere character. I think it's kind of the same thing where it's, he's kind, she's kind of 
trying to weed out the ones that aren't going to make it. And then once she gets her perfect group, then she's going to really settle in and start being a decent sergeant. That's what I think. But I think Patrick would be her favorite because he's the only one that kind of has a soul. Yeah, that's 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 very true. But I, I got to tell you, Yvette, I, I thought we might get a lot of references today. I never thought we'd get an officer and a gentleman reference with Crossing Swords. So bravo <laughs> to you on that one. Thank you very much. That is that is some next level stuff right there. So, I mean, you you appeared in quite a few of the episodes. Uh, did you have a favorite episode that you were in, or maybe there was another episode where you went, "Wow, man, I wish I could have been a part of that one." You know, I loved the the setting the stage the first episode because I love I love any show where they show the world. I love like long shots of hillsides and you know the the, the dragons and all of that stuff in the beginning, and I thought it really set up the show really well. Um, there was another episode that I think I'm in, but I would have loved to have been in the scene where they made the uh, the murderous contraption, the the one that yes. I don't want to spoil anything. That no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Baker. Okay, yeah, I would have loved to have been like the peanut gallery commentary, you know, Sergeant Megan just kind of on the side watching all that play out with her her take on it all because that was a hilarious and very bloody scene in the show. <laughs> So, obviously, you, you had some very, very great writing on this show, but did you actually get a chance to, I mean, you've done some voiceover work before. Did you get to do maybe any ad-libs at all? You know what's funny? I they The people at uh, Stupid Buddy and Robot Chicken Gang Crossing Swords, they're very open to ad-libs. They love silliness and, and smart comedy. So, if you have something to add that you think will, will you know, either loosen you up to get you in the right headspace to do the, what, what is written or to kind of add a little flavor, they totally will allow it. You just don't know whether it's going to make it in until you see the finished product. But I'll say this. I've never seen them make a mistake as to whether they use an ad lib or not. So they're open to it. But at the end of the day, they decide what's best for that scene or that episode. And they've never been wrong. I've never seen an episode go, but I didn't keep in the thing I said about the pigs. I've never... I've never had a moment like that where I where I felt like something should have been in that didn't make it in. Now, I know that you love your character. You love Sergeant Megan. There's so many great characters on this show. So if you actually had a chance to be another one of these characters from the show for one episode, who would you choose and why? Well, I think Broth is so ridiculous that I think I would be Broth just to be kind of a dude bro and like just kind of not know what's going on. Like, I think that would have been fun to play. Although he's had to do and say some things that, you know are very, the, the thing after Medusa and back in the barracks or yeah. something, I don't know how to act out. So, yeah, so I, I think Broth to a certain extent. I'll go with Broth. All right, Yvette, before I let you go, I have to ask you this because, I mean, obviously after all 10 episodes, after all you know about this king, this queen, this kingdom, this family, is this kingdom a kingdom that you would want to live in? No. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I'm, try- I'm trying to figure out why Patrick had such love for the king and queen. Like, he must have never heard what they were doing in the court. He had no idea. And he stayed, too. So. Really he stayed there so much. That first day, I would have been out of there. Yeah, me too. Me too. And well, well, at least Sergeant Megan was kind of like off doing her own thing, too, so she didn't have to be in the middle of any of the craziness. Agreed. Agreed. Well, you can see for yourself all 10 episodes streaming right now on Hulu. It's season one of Crossing Swords. You'll hear a lot of her as well. It's Yvette Nicole Brown. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much. Well, you heard Yvette Nicole Brown talk about broth. Let's talk to broth right now. It's Adam Pally joining me to talk some Crossing Swords on the show now. So, Adam, the first question is simple, man. Just how much fun was it to just be a part of this crazy show? That was awesome. It was great. I'm a big fan of Robot Chicken, and I was so excited to be involved 
So how much did you actually know about broth going into things? Um, I knew I knew uh, enough that I could build, <laughs> build out a character named after the liquid part of soup. And I think one of the cool parts about working with these guys is that they were able to let me kind of put my own spin on it. And I think it came out really great. So it, to me, broth was easily my favorite character. No disrespect to anybody else on the show, but it was just... I never oh, knew. Oh, well, you're talking to me. I never knew what he was going to do next, though. That was the thing. That was what made me love him so much. <laughs> I never knew what in net, whatever next scene was going to happen, what he was going to do. So was that kind of your favorite part about this character, or was just his unpredictability, really? Yeah, I like playing lunatics. I feel like I'm I'm pretty good at it, and uh, it's always fun to play someone who, who can do a bunch of things. So, design-wise, for the characters, did you guys get to spend any time on set at all, or did you get, like, pictures or anything like, this is what the characters are going to look like? And once you did, what, what did yeah, you think we of the aesthetics like a of prototype. that? We were sent, like, a prototype, and I thought it was really cool, I and mean, my biggest concern was, like, how they were going to lift things, because they don't have any arms. But uh, I think that it's super funny the way it worked out, like, the way that they decided to do that. The stop motion is gorgeous, so I couldn't be happier. Did you feel like you kind of got to get away with maybe a little bit more because this was a stop animation? Maybe this is something you couldn't do even in regular animation and certainly not live action? Yeah, I think, well, there's definitely more gags to do and more stuff to do because we're doing stop motion, especially some of the more, like, um, gratuitous nudity. Uh, <laughs> but, I again, like, it, that's funny. It's funny to me. So I, uh, I think possibly the idea of it being these toys makes people a little more comfortable with it. So right away we see that Broth and Patrick are, are very much attached. They're very much together a lot. So, I mean, like I said, Broth is completely random. You never know what he's going to do. Does this make him kind of the worst Squire partner ever or the best Squire partner ever? Well, I think probably the best and the worst at the same time. I think the cool thing about him is that he, he is devoted undyingly towards Patrick, but the negative is that he also... Um, you know, does a lot of stupid shit. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Did you actually have, like, a favorite episode or one in particular that was really fun to work on? I like them all so much. And, like, you know, it's, it's so interesting the way we recorded it. A lot of times you didn't know which episode. We kind of recorded the season as a whole, so you don't know which episode is where. But, I, again, I like some of the more sensual, <laughs> nudity-filled episodes to me were super funny. And Broth was very much a central part of that, no question about it. <laughs> So, did you actually get to? Did you get to do any recording together, or or in any pairs, or anything like that, or was it kind of all done separately? No, it's all done separately. But those guys are, you know, they're a well-oiled machine. They know exactly how to get their song out. So it was, it was fairly easy. Because it seemed like you guys played off of each other so well. It seemed like you were all in the room together, especially you, you and Nicholas. You know, pairing off of each other in those scenes. So I, I, you almost can't even tell. I know, it's amazing. Those guys really are they're great at um, casting and knowing what voices will sound good together. So, you know, those guys are, are legit. Speaking of Nicholas, I mean, obviously you had a lot of, of scenes with him, even though you recorded separately. And, and when I heard that voice come out of Patrick, I'm like, I don't hear Nicholas at all. It was so crazy. How crazy was it for you to kind of hear these voices once you finally got to f hear the finished product? Uh, it was great. I mean, that's the most fun part of doing it is that you, you you know you do your own thing and you're kind of isolated and you're free to do all these crazy things and then when you see what how it fits it's, it's shocking you know and I, um it's it's really uh, fulfilling was it cool for you too that not only was this kind of set in the dark ages and there were obviously some elements of that but they sort of also brought a little bit of a modern aspect to the show as well how was that 
I like that juxtaposition of like, you know, they, they really take the world as a place that may like use it to make comments on modern day problems. And I, I don't know. I just like, I like, I think that that's a cool device. And I think like you were saying, you can get away with a lot more because there's toys and then you can get away with a lot more because it's medieval facts. So it's kind of um, a really easy way to generate comedy. No doubt about it. We're talking to Adam Pally, who plays Broth on Hulu's Crossing Swords, which you can stream all, all 10 episodes of right now. On Hulu. Now, you were mentioning, Adam, that you had some freedom with Broth with the character. Obviously, you did have some great writers involved with this as well. But did you actually get to do any ad-libbing at all? Yeah, they were really great about that. They were the, Especially the way that, that we were directed. They were really great about letting us kind of find a way for it to feel comfortable coming out of our own mouths. So it was a, another plus of the gig. You know, we don't actually get to hear... We get to hear a lot of Patrick's thoughts on we, what he feels of the... How he feels about the royal family and everything connected in this kingdom. We don't get to hear a whole lot about how Broth feels. So how do you think he feels about the royal family, or does he just kind of roll with everything? Uh, you know, Broth is a company company man, you know, so I think he, he's excited to be involved, and he's there for support. And uh, I hope maybe maybe in the coming seasons we'll get to explore some of his depth. Nice, very nice, very nice. Were there any characters or, or anybody that was that was working on the show you were like, you know, I really wished I could have gotten more scenes with Broth and this character? No, 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 no. I, I think it came out perfectly. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what a, a more stories could look like. So even though, you, like you said, this show gets away with a lot of stuff, and I mean a lot of stuff. So when you're reading the scripts, was there any particular moment that you can think of, of course, without spoiling anything that you could tease for us, where you're like, man, I can't believe we're going to get away with this? No, I actually, there were many times where I read it where I was like, I'm excited to put this on the air. Nice, very nice. So, now there's a lot of crazy dynamics on this show. So, who do you think actually has the more screwed up family? Is it Patrick's family or is it King Merriman's family, you think? I think uh, Patrick's family. Which is why he's such a diamond in the rough, you know? Uh, but sometimes that's what happens. The, the way to rebel is to become a good person. So you mentioned that you got a prototype in for the for the characters for, for Broth so you could see kind of what you're dealing with and things like that. Is this something that you could see at some point? Because, I mean, you, we see a lot of, of toys based on shows and stuff like that. Is this something that you hope that maybe someday the toys will actually get out there? Could you imagine that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know what child would ever play with it. But yeah, that would be a I, tough sell, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, but all merch is good merch, you know? No doubt about it, no doubt about it. So there, there's a lot of, like, really hilarious characters on the show and, and character names, too, as a matter of fact. Other than Broth, did you have a favorite where you're like, this this character just makes me laugh every time? I liked the uh, Tony Hale character, Blarney, I thought he was funny. So, Adam, before I let you go, knowing all that you know about this show and all 10 episodes that you've been in and anything you might know about what what might be coming up in the show and with all that you know is this a kingdom that you would actually want to live in absolutely not no i don't want to go anywhere without an iphone <laughs> well if you if you had an iphone would that make it better no no, no <laughs> you know those, those times weren't exactly great for views no definitely not well, i'm good where i am Hopefully it's a great time for everybody that watches at Hulu's Crossing Swords. All 10 episodes available right now on Hulu. You're going to love this guy. You're going to love Broth as well. It's Adam Pally. Thank you so much for joining me this week, man. Thank you, sir. One of the best things about Crossing Swords is that this show is so unapologetically 
what it is. Get ready to be shocked. Get ready for your jaw to hit the floor and definitely get ready to laugh, especially like, like event Nicole Brown said, it's a little naughty. And I think a little is certainly a generous way of putting it. It's very naughty. There's some stuff in there that you're just not going to expect. There's a lot of shock value and it's a lot of fun. Hulu's crossing swords streaming all episodes right now. Go see for yourself what these peg people are getting away with. I don't think you're going to believe it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the folks at Hulu for letting me be a part of the virtual press day for Hulu's Crossing Swords. And also, if you want more information on that, as a matter of fact, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can also check us out on social media, find trailers and such, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, Mint Mobile. Go to mintmobile.com slash nerdy if you want to ditch those big wireless carriers and get your wireless bill down with your own phone, by the way, to about 15 bucks a month shipped right to your doors. Mintmobile.com slash nerdy. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.